0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the education minister has announced they are scrapping the controversial rule in place for hiring teachers. They will now be hired based on merit, not how long they've been in the union. The U.S. president and his Democratic opponent will not debate tonight, but instead have two competing town halls on two different networks at exactly the same time does that help and the federal government is doing everything to stop we scandal investigations from proceeding will they be successful it's all coming up on the scott thompson show podcast Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
1: Hi, this is Alicia Thompson, Scott's daughter. My brother forgot to record this today, so here I am. Come to think about it, he has forgotten a few things in life lately. Oh! Enough dirty laundry. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here, Scott
2: Thompson. Thank you.
0: You still there? Uh, Good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers, come back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air. Week number 31. Uh, Here we go. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you, uh, and you too. Uh, you can send us a note via the website, ScottThompson at 900CHML.com, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you'll find the commentary there uh, about COVID-19, sort of. You know, the best medicine's a walk. And if you got a dog, better yet, but you don't need one, feel free to weigh in on that. We would love to hear from you. Lots coming up on the show today. Education Minister Stephen Lecce uh, had a press conference earlier on this morning talking about a regulation, uh, 274, which is uh, is going to change uh, teaching and how they hire teachers. Here's a report from Tina Trajani from Global News. Clearly the status quo in this province is not working.
1: And with that, Minister Stephen Lecce has announced the province is tackling a controversial rule which favours supply teachers who've been around the longest when it comes to hiring for new long-term and full-time positions.
0: Regulation 274 is being revoked. Moving forward, teacher hiring in Ontario will now be dictated by merit diversity and the unique needs of schools and communities within our province over seniority.
1: For the last few years, Regulation 274 has given preference to the five qualified teachers who've been on the supply list for the longest amount of time, but he says that's outdated and doesn't ensure students get the best education or representation. Lecce says scrapping this will give equal opportunity to newer and younger educators who've often been bypassed for positions tina Trajani, global news
0: let's bring in sam ustra parliamentary assistant to the minister of education mpp for niagara west and with us now sam thank you for the time hope you're doing well i'm doing well how are you scott thank you good um this has been talked about for a long time uh over the years and such why is this coming to the forefront now why is this happening now why is the minister making these announcements today
3: Well, this is an important part of our conversations with our teacher federations over the course of negotiations earlier this spring. Uh, And we believe now more than ever, we need to take an approach that uh, ensures school boards are supported in hiring teachers to meet their local needs, uh, to ensure that they're able to increase distancing in the classroom and have a merit-based Uh, diverse approach towards hiring so this is really about putting students first by empowering school principals to hire the best and most qualified for each and every classroom and not the teacher who's simply been in the school board longest so we don't want to defend the status quo we want to do what we can to ensure uh, that our educators have equal opportunity for progression within the system
0: are the teachers unions happy with this decision well, we've heard from
3: a lot of teachers, uh, who have said that this is welcome. Uh, we've heard from principals associations, trustees associations, and many others, including parents and students themselves, that, that they're looking forward to, ins- to seeing that, uh, getting rid of regulation 274 will open up a more diverse workforce, will ensure that uh, the qualifications and merit of teachers are being taken into consideration and that uh, the local needs are being addressed as well by principals who, who frankly know their schools and want to make sure that they have the student the, the teacher that's right for that school uh, in front of the classroom so it's it's something that uh, we've been hearing for quite some time i think ever since the liberal government put this regulation in place eight years ago we've been hearing a lot of pushback and uh, we want to make sure we're doing what's right to ensure uh, diversity for our education system and of course the best teacher possible in front of the classroom.
0: Um, if the teachers weren't in support of this, uh, obviously it's, you know, a promotion based on how long you've been there, not necessarily how good you are. Uh, you know, if the teachers uh, were for that, why would the unions not have moved towards this earlier?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm not going to speculate. I think that's a question you'll have to ask uh, the, the union leadership, and I'm sure um, that they'll be willing to provide that perspective. But what we've said consistently and heard from teachers as well as from other members of the education sector that hiring under Regulation 274 wasn't fair. It was unfair to younger teachers Uh, and this new approach is going to be removing the requirements to uh, regard teacher hiring practices based on seniority solely. So we're looking to establish the principles of transparency, merit and diversity in the hiring of teachers. That being said we're going to have a, a clear guideline in place to ensure that school boards are Developing robust policies that promote fairness and transparency. Uh, We, of course, want to make sure we're addressing potential conflicts of interest and requiring administrators to establish and adhere to posted job requirements and qualifications. Uh, And we're doing all this to make sure, again, that at the end of the day, the student in front of a classroom uh, is the best pop. Sorry, the teacher in front of a classroom is the best possible teacher for that classroom.
0: Uh, has this Regulation 274 caused a shortage of teachers, and, which has now been exposed during COVID-19?
3: No, I. you know, we've seen, uh, I believe, this shortage because of the unprecedented amounts of new teachers that have been hired by this government over the last couple of years. But specifically, since COVID uh, came into effect, we've unlocked $1.3 billion, sorry, $1.6 billion worth of funds for school boards, including allowing them to access for example, reserve funding uh, to be able to hire more teachers to uh, reduce class sizes and and socially distance within the classroom. So I believe that this particular uh, area of shortage is because of uh, the amount of teachers that have been hired across the province in recent years. And that's that's something that, of course, is going to be a challenge going forward. But also, I think, just speaks about uh, the, the fact that the unions, if you heard them the last couple of years, they they talked about um, all these pink slips. The reality is is there's such a need for teachers more than ever. uh, And anyone who is is qualified and able to work in that profession and and has the qualifications uh, will be able to access a job.
0: Sam, when does this go into effect? Does this affect any contracts that are currently uh, in place right now?
3: No, so this is actually part of our negotiations with the existing contracts that are, are still being ratified at the local level as well. But the central uh, bargains have been uh, reached uh, earlier this spring. As, as, as you may remember, over the course of the winter and early spring, we had a lot of different conversations with our labour partners, and this was understood to be uh, part of those negotiations. So we do expect uh, this interim PPM coming into place at the end of October, uh, and then the new uh, boards are, or the boards are expected to have new policies in place by the beginning of uh, 2021.
0: What does this mean going forward for students and teachers uh, in the next couple of years? How will this affect the system?
3: What I think it's going to be doing is ensuring that uh, principals are able to recognize the character of, of classrooms and, and of schools within the system and ensure that they're hiring teachers that uh, represent uh, the needs of that particular classroom and the particular school. A a school in Brampton is very different from a school uh, in Ottawa which is very different from a school in in Niagara and and, uh, frankly even within Niagara, Welland is a different school from uh, from parts of Hamilton. And we need to make sure that within the system there's, there's flexibility and uh, consideration for the principal to meet the needs of uh, diverse students and have diverse candidates based on quality, based on merit, based on qualifications, uh, and not just based on seniority. So over the next couple of years, I believe we'll see this really leading to high-quality teachers in the front of the classroom, but not just high-quality teachers teachers who are appropriate for the class that they're in.
0: Sam Oostroff has been with us, Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education, MPP for Niagara West. Sam, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. All the best. All right. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Nancy Maines, Professor, Faculty of Education and Professional Studies, Schulich School of Education, Nipissing University, and is with us now. Nancy, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
1: Very well. Thank you.
0: And how is it in beautiful North Bay today?
1: Um it's a bit breezy right on the edge of the lake but it's it's gorgeous we still have a little bit of color in the trees so it's a beautiful post thanksgiving week
0: It must be beautiful up there. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on what has happened today and and I guess we can start with this by saying in in, in to your best ability explain what regulation 274 meant
1: um well this is the regulation that was put in place in 2012 in the province of Ontario. Um there were several provisions in the regulation. Um, and uh, those provisions related to how teachers could be hired in the province. Um so um, it, it, there was a very complex teaching situation happening around the occurrence of this regulation. So we had um, an oversupply of teachers in the K to 12 system in, for looking for teaching positions in the province. Uh, We had strong numbers of entrants into teacher education programs across the province. Um, We had uh, a demographic imbalance in student enrollment, so declining enrollments in uh, small urban and rural and depressed settings and in larger uh, metropolitan areas and increasing enrollments in the metropolitan areas. And we had a lot of uh, geographic inequalities, particularly in respect to student-teacher ratios and supply teachers and students needing special uh, assistance, and then there was a lot of increased tension between government and the teacher unions and the boards around um, who could teach in the province and the need for new teachers and and that brought about the regulation in two thousand and twelve. However, it only took one year for Kathleen uh, Wynne, the premier at the time, to indicate that uh, in September 2013, Regulation 274 was an overcorrection of the problem. But Mm. literally nothing has been done in the last seven years to correct this overcorrection.
0: So, what was the advantage to uh, the initial advantage to Regulation 274? Why was it put in motion? What was it supposed to do?
1: Um, Well, initially it came about as a result of complaints and concerns expressed by the uh, French Ontario school boards because they were seeing a lot of nepotism within their boards, so relatives of various people who were already in the boards being disproportionately hired for teaching positions. And because teaching positions were very limited at the time, um, that became a, a, a huge issue for those people who were not seeing themselves becoming hired. Um, so um, they requested some address to that, and the answer to that was Regulation 274.
0: And how did this affect the hiring of new teachers, younger teachers specifically?
1: Um Well, it it had a huge impact on the hiring of new teachers because essentially it it regulated them to having to uh, go through about five steps before they could become hired by any teaching or any school board in the province. Um, And in addition to that, they've done a lot of things otherwise to get employment. We know that teachers coming out of faculties of education currently um, come out with approximately thirty three thousand dollars on average in uh, student loan debt, and that uh, that when, and we now know that that debt needs to be paid back immediately upon certification rather than having some uh, some lag time before they could start repaying, um, but in the past, under this regulation, teachers had to make decisions as soon as they graduated they had The opportunity to kind of stick around and apply for occasional teachers, sometimes we call the supply teacher lists And they saw that as an advantage because it would help them maintain contacts with people working in the school boards that they wanted to, to work in. Um, They could enrich their own qualifications, so their certifications in what the province identified as high-needs areas. So in the last few years, those have been French, um, secondary math, physics, technology. So they would um, upgrade their qualifications. And remember, we're talking about people who already have six years of secondary post-secondary education, so they're already... Highly qualified teachers.
0: There's no shortage of stories, anecdotally, of you know teachers that have come through the or uh, students that have come through the process in their late 20s and you know and almost 30 and still waiting for a teacher's job. Meanwhile, you know uh, the teachers that are going in supply are at the other end of the scale, and and many of them um, you know should have just simply retired from what I'm I'm hearing. And again, this is all anecdotally, but it, this is great news for the younger teachers that are standing in line and have been for years trying to get a job.
1: Um, yes, and we're we've kind of uh, well as I mentioned earlier we we've, we've overweighted this problem. It was identified as a problem seven years ago, and nothing's been done about it up until now. It's long overdue for correction. So now we're at the point where over the last several years, a lot of those people who have been waiting have either gone to other employment, um, taking. Um, taken positions outside of their field, so essentially they're underemployed after six years of post-secondary education, mm-hmm. or they've left the country entirely. And all of those should be a concern to us as taxpayers because teacher education is heavily subsidized um, within our province, so we are effectively giving away all the subsidy to other jurisdictions when we allow that to happen. But because we have waited so long, we're now at the point where we actually have a shortage of teachers in the province right. of Ontario. Right.
0: So, and that's obviously due to COVID-19. My next question, and, and um, again, I, I've kind of answered it myself, but why do you think this is happening now, Nancy? Like you said, this has been a discussion that's been, uh, it was recognized quite a few years ago that this had to change. Uh, why do you think this is all happening now?
1: Um, well, it's not quite as sudden as that. It's not all due to COVID-19. Um, the trend has been in place that we have been reducing the number of um, teachers that are in the province, are, are being certified in the province um, because of uh, the two-year program. And uh, that rate has been dropping. The average uh, five-year unemployment rate has been dropping since about 2016. Um, so we were at... You know, 4% two years ago, we were at um, 8%, uh, and that's the extra teachers in the province um, three years ago, and that is way down from the 24% where we were in 2014, for example. So now we're at 0%, and in fact, boards have learned how to go around Regulation 274. So that regulation causes them to only hire teachers using a certain lockstep process, um that I identified earlier, but now they've created this other entity, this emergency supply teacher, and we have a lot of people in the province working as unqualified teachers. And in fact, I'm teaching both first and second year uh, courses now in our teacher education program, and many of my students who are on online first-year courses are teaching full-time during the day. Hmm. As unqualified supply teachers. So it's uh, been exacerbated by COVID, but it hasn't been caused by COVID.
0: We certainly know what it's been like every couple of years, to you know, every three years when uh, there's you know contract negotiations uh, are ongoing. Uh, you know, I'm a guy in my 50s. My kids have gone through it. I remember going through it as a student in the 70s, uh, and, and I and as well post COVID 19, uh, and and we've seen how. Uh, the education system perhaps wasn't as nimble as it needed to be. And a lot of people started asking, uh, questions and such and, and wondering, you know, every three years we go through this process and we pay more money, but are we really getting bang for our buck? Uh, will this situation with regulation 274, does that affect current contracts? Does that, uh, put any of them in jeopardy? Is there any good, is there any legalities involved here in making this decision?
1: Um, I suspect that teachers' federations will not be particularly happy, but principals will be ecstatic. Um, why would the teachers' federations?
0: School, sorry. Why would the teachers' federations not be happy? Why does this play for their advantage?
1: Um, well, it removes their ability to um, to protect the people who pay them to protect them. Um, yeah. So, if I'm a, uh, a member, it's a way of to the
0: end- keep the bad. Te- we can be very blunt. Is it a way to keep the bad teachers, Nancy?
1: No. No, I wouldn't say that at all. That, so that's a bit Machiavellian. No, it's the principal's job to, uh, to weed out and, and either mentor or improve or, or remove the bad teachers. The Teachers Federation protects everyone who pays them to protect them. Right. Um, so, it, 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 has many advantages and it, it has improved working conditions for teachers unquestionably. But I would not say it is, is, its role is to protect bad teachers. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. It, it has very good professional development opportunities, um, for teachers and, uh, many opportunities for them to take advantage of that professional development. But like any federation, um, you serve the people who pay you to serve them. Um so one of the groups who's paid paid has been paid um to be served is those uh those teachers on um long term occasional contracts and they are protected by regulation two seventy four because they then have to go through um a longer or other people in competition with them have to go through a, a longer protest a process to get themselves into the same position as these teachers and then when they apply for permit contracts, they are equally competitive with other people who may have less experience than them, but are on the same list of five people who have been uh, working for the board for the longest period of time.
0: Nancy Maines has been with us, Professor, Faculty of Education and Professional Studies, Schulich School of Education, Nipissing University. Nancy, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, the U.S. president and uh, Democratic uh, Democratic candidate are holding dueling town halls tonight. That's uh, U.S. President Donald Trump and Democratic candidate Joe Biden. They were supposed to be together at a debate tonight this was supposed to be the second debate however uh the committee that organizes the debate uh said that since uh uh the pri- uh, the president had tested positive for COVID 19 it will be a virtual debate uh done online uh he said no why they just didn't continue because now he's apparently the president tested negative and is out and about let's bring in reggie Cicchini, washington producer and correspondent with global news uh now in north carolina and is with us reggie thanks for the time hope you're doing well what's it like in north carolina today
4: uh well there is a trump rally that's about to get underway in the next 45 minutes uh and we were out uh at the site of that rally out by the airport here in greenville uh hours and hours uh before it was uh, set to start even really as the sun was coming up and there were already hundreds of people standing in line worth pointing out north carolina has an increase in COVID 19 cases It has a mask mandate for anywhere outside in a public setting and very few, if any, people standing in line today were either A, socially distanced or B, wearing a mask
0: uh let's get to uh the debate because obviously uh the second debate was supposed to be tonight between uh biden and trump that was canceled when uh trump came down with COVID 19 but he's now tested negative and is obviously going out and about and and doing these rallies and such so why not a debate would it have to be done virtually considering he's, he's doing rallies anyway
4: Well, I mean, look, we need to start with the fact that the president says that he's negative and his doctors have come out to say that he's negative. Uh, But the negative test that they provided to the public by way of a uh, physician's note is using a different test than what uh, is usually used to diagnose a negative COVID-19 result. And we don't actually know what the detailed results of that negative test were. So uh, we have to take the White House on their word when it comes to the president's health. Uh, Nonetheless, even before that came out, he was already anticipating getting back out on the road. We saw the president hold the number of rallies uh, and kind of uh, in person events over the last several days, and this is going to continue. Uh, as for that, that, uh, town hall that the president is holding tonight, uh, really it is, it is being called into question right now because the president pulled out of doing a debate with Joe Biden because he didn't want to do a virtual event, uh, because of that COVID-19 diagnosis. The fact that it's now going to be an in-person, uh, kind of town hall style debate on NBC raises the question of why aren't they doing a debate with each other? But really, at the end of the day, what is the value to the American public who can simply just tune in to the person that they want to hear talking?
0: So uh, there's no chance that the commission uh, would have dropped the idea of a virtual debate now that he has uh, apparently tested negative, or as you said, because it's it's from the White House, they're still saying they would like to do it virtually. I mean, obviously, it's too late now, but it's surprising they didn't move towards this.
4: I mean, look, there were still concerns that were expressed by the Biden campaign, who said that they wanted this to become a virtual event. And that's because since the beginning of this pandemic, or at least since Joe Biden became the nominee for the Democrats, uh, they've taken the virus with the utmost of severity. They keep their uh, their presence to very small events in and around uh, uh, the country. Uh, They don't get too close with people. And the committee, the the campaign had said when President Trump was uh, diagnosed publicly, uh, that if this was going to go forward, that there were serious risks that could be put forth not only to people on the Biden campaign, but to those in attendance at this town hall setting. So they were pushing for this virtual atmosphere as well. Uh, But it simply was the president's decision to not take part in that virtual town hall. Uh, And what that did was just kind of uh put an end to what would have been the second debate it is worth pointing out we don't even know if the third debate is going to go forward how joe biden's campaign will feel about that but again the fact that we're seeing both of these candidates now in kind of competing countering town halls tonight uh really is a disservice to the american public and to those americans who are still looking to have their opinion swayed
0: uh, my next question was about that third debate is it going to happen is anybody is it in anybody's advantage to have that third debate
4: Well, I mean, it it is to the disadvantage for Donald Trump to not take part in a third debate because, look, tonight he's going to be on NBC. It's not a network that's friendly to President Trump, and he may be pressed hard, uh, to answer questions about COVID-19 or previous administration, uh, decisions, uh, that have really kind of been forgotten over the last three years. Think back, to, you know, uh, immigration and family separation. The president could find himself in a hot seat and not able to deflect, uh, onto Joe Biden because they're not with each other. But at a time when Donald Trump is trailing in national polls, he's trailing in some of the key swing states and here, uh, including here in North Carolina, uh, for the president to not be on a stage, uh, being able to kind of defend his legislative uh, kind of actions and plans going forward up against that of Joe Biden, uh, it really may not do anything to sway voters in his direction uh, if there is a third debate or if he doesn't take part in that third debate. Uh, and it, Again, this is a time when he needs all the help that he can get for Joe Biden. I mean, he's up nationally. If he does or doesn't do these debates, if he doesn't do them. It potentially could help him more because it gives him less time to say the wrong thing.
0: So obviously, uh, the commission canceled uh, or sorry, Donald Trump said, no, I'm not doing a virtual debate. That was off. Uh, Biden then went or a- a- ABC and Biden then teamed up and said, well, he's going to do a televised event. And then at that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, Reggie, at that point, uh, Trump and NBC got together and to do the same sort of thing at exactly the same time. Are they both exactly the same length as well?
4: Yeah, this is, this is literally going to be counter programming on two different channels right now. And NBC really faced uh, some significant blowback for the decision to take Donald Trump on for this town hall. Uh, because again, it's at the same time that an event was supposed to be taking place, uh, in the first place, but also with Joe Biden right now, the reason that they didn't go an hour before or an hour after, uh, it really is unknown. But I mean, it, it's hard to, to not hammer this point down in that. If you are a Donald Trump supporter, you are not going to turn on a Joe Biden event and vice versa for Joe Biden supporters turning into a Donald Trump event. And if you're an undecided voter, uh, flipping back and forth between two channels at the same time is not going to provide you with the information that you may be looking for, that you're not going to hear uh, the candidates be able to ask of each other. So there are real questions as to what the benefit is for both of these networks holding these town halls right now, when really they, the, the candidates could have just gone off and did their own town halls in a non-televised debate and solely just talked to the voters that are in the room with them.
0: So uh, NBC, obviously we're hearing on social media getting flack for programming at the exact same time as ABC did with, with, with uh, the Biden uh, town hall and such. Uh, how does NBC, what's NBC's reaction to that? Um, uh, how did we get to this point?
4: Well, I mean, look, the the network is simply saying this is an opportunity uh, that was presented uh, and they took it. Uh, You know, it's, again, uh, kind of one of those raises questions, considering what Donald Trump has said about uh, about the network, you know, trying to say that they're kind of in line with the Democrats and they're out uh, to get him. You know, it's worth pointing out NBC really made Donald Trump what he is in the modern sense, giving him a platform for The Apprentice for all of those years. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be an uncomfortable situation potentially for President Trump, uh, as he has NBC uh, uh, journalists pushing back on decisions that he has made. But really, when it comes to COVID-19, pushing back potentially on the decision to not do a debate in the first place, Uh, and then go and sit down with this network this really is you know it's going to be a must-see tv event it just really depends on who you want to see for must-see tv (laughs)
0: that's exactly where i was going next reggie because as you said uh you know i I don't think this is going to change anybody's opinion or not but are you going to watch uh joe biden or somebody who makes you 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 know you're guaranteed to to get better tv out of so at the end of the day i'm predicting that that the trumps will probably get better ratings i'm sure he'll use that as an advantage. But does getting better TV uh, ratings in a situation as wacky as this one is, does that necessarily translate into votes for the White House? It
4: doesn't, it it likely won't translate into new votes for the White House. Look, President Trump has had a difficult time over the last four years, not only shoring up his own base as they've started to slip away, but also bringing anybody new into that base. Uh, And again, this this doesn't offer him an opportunity to try and pick up some of those undecided voters that are out there. And I mean, look, over the last month, that number has been somewhere between 9% and 12% of Americans that really don't have any kind of uh, political affiliation. You know, even here in North Carolina, look, there's 10 million people that live here, one third of the residents in this state are considered to be unaffiliated with either political party, meaning that they really could be swayed in either direction. Uh, but it's unlikely that any of those people will just sit there and tune into kind of a one on one interview. Uh, with President Trump or even with Joe Biden, because we often know what's going what's going to be broadcast. It's going to be talking points over the last four years. It's going to be an evasion of the questions that are being asked to simply go back to the things that that they're comfortable with. And they won't be able to face that pushback from the person who is standing beside them. So, uh, you know, again, it it raises the question as to what the end result here is for either of these candidates, uh, unless it's solely just uh, an opportunity to talk to the people that they already know are voting for them.
0: Reggie, we've heard uh, lots of information in around the polling and in the trending that it's going and putting uh, Biden out front and, and nationally and such. But we certainly all remember what happened last time and how nobody predicted at all a Trump victory. And we certainly know what happened. Why is it different this time? Why the po- Why is the polling well, different this time?
4: Because pollsters realized what they did in 2016 and they're now trying to overcorrect for what they missed. And, you know, at the end of the day, the polls predicted that Hillary Clinton would win. And at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. So the polls really weren't all that inaccurate. It was the Electoral College that played against the pollers uh, and some of that silent majority. So what we're seeing pollsters do now is kind of uh, you know, reach out to a, a bigger demographic uh, of, of Republicans when they're talking, uh, bigger demographics of, of, of uh, Democrats, and then trying to kind of adjust the results for what they think are going to work better within the margins, trying to better get a picture of what's going to happen. Uh, and the polls right now are also... Uh, kind of in line with each other, whether they are, you know, the, the right leaning polls or the left leaning polls, the centrist polls, they're all painting the same picture of Joe Biden holding a healthy lead, both at the national level and at the state level. And even when you look to states like North Carolina or Georgia or Iowa or Florida or Texas, pretty reliably red states, they're also giving Joe Biden either a slight or a moderate edge over Trump. Uh, So it's hard to see that every single poll is pulling in the wrong direction right now. But again, you know, we saw what happened four years ago, really, anything is possible here.
0: Uh we're hearing uh, uh Kamala Harris's uh, uh two staffers of her team have tested positive for COVID-19. Obviously Biden's a VP candidate. Does this change Biden's plans in any way? Uh do these two parties mix at all? How how are they keeping Biden protected?
4: So Biden uh, apparently wasn't in contact with either of these members of Kamala Harris's staff. Uh, Joe Biden is incredibly cautious about putting himself into a situation where there may be uh, a growing number of people, so they really try to keep him uh, on the healthy side. Kamala Harris, as well said that she wasn 't in contact with either of these two staffers, but is cancelling and postponing all vaca- or all travel rather until next Sunday at least, uh, and that cancels two of her events that were supposed to be held in North Carolina today. And the campaign is really looking at a, in a situation of, look at how serious we're treating this right now. Two people that we weren't close with have tested positive, so we're all putting a pause on everything. Whereas President Trump tested positive, uh, held off for a couple of days, yet Trump family surrogates that had already been near the president went back out onto the campaign trail to hold these big rallies. So there's kind of a push here on the Biden campaign side to say that the seriousness that they're treating the virus with is something that shows that they have kind of a a bigger trustworthiness when it comes to uh, any possible person who's looking to vote for them. So there is strategy here as well.
0: Last question on that note, Reggie. Anything more on White House breakouts or, or anything in regard to the president's health at all?
4: We don't know anything else about the president's health. He has been sounding a little hoarse lately, but they haven't put out any further notes from his physician. Uh, we found out yesterday that Barron Trump, the president's teenage son, did contract COVID-19 mm. when both the president and first lady did. Uh, he apparently showed no symptoms and has recovered. But it also kind of goes against the president's messaging the children are, quote-unquote, immune from the virus when his own child uh, contracted COVID-19. Mm. Uh, we haven't heard anything else about any outbreaks inside the White House. Uh, but again, this is a virus that can, you know, spread quickly and then slow down and spread again uh as so, you know that's why they're trying to push these mitigation efforts and why you hear someone like dr fauci coming out saying anytime you have a group setting it's quote-unquote risky
0: reggie gicchini's been with us washington producer correspondent with global news uh, he's down in north carolina make sure you're watching global news tonight at 5:30 and 6 for more on all of this reggie as always thanks for the time be well. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A new study released by CAMH says that the COVID-19 pandemic has adversely affected the mental health of women. To talk more about all of this, uh, Andrea Gunraj is with us, VP of Public Engagement for the Canadian Women's Foundation and with us now. Andrea, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, What is the Canadian Women's Foundation?
2: The Canadian Women's Foundation, you know, we're Canada's public foundation for gender equality. So these kinds of issues are really coming up to the forefront right now about how the pandemic has a uniquely gendered impact in Canada.
0: Talk about that and the information in this CAMH study, how it has affected women differently than men.
2: Well, we do see this CAMH study is really revealing that women are experiencing higher anxiety levels. And, of course, children are also experiencing high anxiety levels. And we can understand why. Um, we see that these, these uh, pandemic impacts have been really difficult on women because women often have, on a normal course, more of the caregiving and home care responsibilities, and I think that is a real key to why women are experiencing this this anxiety, a greater impacts of it. It's also affecting their abilities to even go back to work. People are talking about how women are often not able to go do paid work because their unpaid time doing care work is really skyrocketing. Um, So we have women's involvement in the paid labor force now at the lowest level it's been in 30 years. And that's really alarming because we know that paid work, of course, leads to your ability to stay out of poverty and make sure that your kids are out of poverty. So you can see one of the number one things that creates anxiety for people is financial stress. And economic pressure and women are feeling it in really big ways. Everybody does feel it, but I think it's really important to look at people's lives and look at the statistics and what CAMH has just shown us again is that women do carry this anxiety because they carry so many responsibilities at home.
0: Uh, it's amazing how the conversation has changed as we go into, uh, the second wave of this, as opposed to the first, uh, you know, mental illness was always a concern, but really seems to be uh, the forefront now that we've been in this for seven months now. Um, is it different with the second wave than the first?
2: It's so interesting because uh, the CAMH study in particular talks about how we really felt that anxiety, especially among women. It was at 30% in May. But when it came um, more recently, it has gone down and then gone back up again. With September coming and school starting, it's gone up to 24%. So there are waves in terms of not only the virus, but in terms of how we respond to it, where we feel we're supported, where we feel we're not supported. And something else that I would like to mention as well, too, this is really, really concerning to me, gender-based violence. There's every indication that mm-hmm. that is also increasing. People are isolated at home, maybe stuck with their abusers, Women experience this violence at high rates already as a baseline and then it just only pits. spiked with the pandemic starting. So really, I think that when you talk about the waves of anxiety, there is always kind of a low-level anxiety that people are experiencing when it comes to gender-based violence, because it's one of these things that we've experienced all the time, and we know that in Canada women are killed by their intimate partners on average every six days. So it's not an esoteric thing. It's not a small thing. More than 51% of the the public is affected by this virus and is is in fear um, because of this uh, virus and the creation of this now increased risk of violence so honestly i think that we do see the ups and downs but um there is a level of anxiety that comes really from gender injustice that we are experiencing in our society
0: how concerned are you that these will continue post-covid 19 even after a vaccine is 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 found how concerned are you about the long-term effects of this
2: well, we know that, of course, the short-term feeds into the long-term. So even if we have a, a virus, uh, you know, panacea, or we have some kind of a cure, uh, we know that the impacts are long-lasting because the roots of the impacts, why we've had these impacts, they remain. So we have to actually address the root causes, the pieces around gender inequality when it comes to women's work, things like the pay gap, things like the unfair burden that women carry for caregiving that's higher um, that we have to look at things like discrimination and racism. We know, uh, I live in Toronto, we see certain communities are being affected more. Black and racialized communities are being affected more. Poor communities are be- being affected more. And it's coming down to their death rates when it comes to this virus as well. So there's a lot of kinds of issues that we have to deal with that we're always there. But I think the pandemic opens up the cracks and shows us that we have to do something about it. And we have to stop thinking just about the virus. Don't blame the virus. Blame, actually, the the situation that made this so vulnerable uh, for us right now. Blame that we have inequalities that we have to address and things that we have to build people up with. And think about the people who are highly affected right now. I'm thinking about people with disabilities. I'm thinking of people of color. I'm thinking about black communities. These are the, the ways that we have to kind of target our approach. And think about it not only in terms of, well, you know, making sure that people are safe from the virus. We also have to make sure that people are safe, period, and doing well, period, so that these things don't shake us when they happen, because they happen all the time. There's going to be issues. There's going to be pandemics. Maybe this pandemic is going to go on longer. So let's make that baseline better.
0: No, you bring up a valid point and how this uh, coronavirus has exposed lots of weaknesses uh, in our society. What advice do you have for women? Uh, how can they cope? Any advice you can, you can give us to
2: help? Well, you know, I think one of the, the main things that helps me is getting active right now. And that's tricky because we can't be in, in a face-to-face situation. But I think about the ways that I have just fed myself and trying to get active on the things that I know are out there, these big dynamics. So what I've been doing is looking for opportunities to, um, if I have any extra income, to be able to give some donations to causes that are close to my heart. I've been particularly looking at things like campaigns where I can sign letters and say that I want to have a better... Um, Canada, I want to make things better baseline so that these things don't shock us as much as, as often. Um, and I do also think about the, the decision makers and holding my decision makers accountable, the people in my areas, um, accountable for what they're going to do for women. Um, so asking that question of the people who are asking for our votes, how are you going to ensure a gendered recovery, just like this virus has had gendered impacts? Those are the things that help me feel better at this tough time. I know a lot of people are saying self-care. Well, you know, self-care can cost money. Self-care can be difficult, especially when you have a lot of responsibilities. So those are not bad things. But I really look to the things that I can do right now, trying to get active, trying to do things in my community that makes a difference, again, so that I'm not thinking about the virus on a short-term basis. I'm thinking about building back a better society for us.
0: Andrea Gunraj has been with us, VP of Public Engagement for the Canadian Women's Foundation. A new study released by CAMH says that the COVID-19 pandemic has adversely affected the mental health of women. Andrea, thank you
2: so much for the time. Be well. Thanks for having me, and you be well, too.
0: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show Podcast on 900 CHML. All right, opposition MPs are bracing for another marathon meeting in the House uh, uh, House of Commons Ethics Committee uh, today as they ramp up efforts to revive their investigation into the wheat charity scandal. Uh, conservative MPs and colleagues are preparing for a meeting to drag on for days, if that's what it takes to finally force an end to a filibuster created by the Liberal Committee members who have been blocking opposition demands for more uh, documents. Obviously, the liberals are trying to uh, put this uh, under the table as quickly as they can, Uh, and that was the case uh, with prorogation of government, which happened uh, in the latter part of the summer. Now that uh, the throne speech has been read and it's just a a typical uh, rubber stamp of what we've really already had, uh, now all of a sudden the focus is going back to the We Charity scandal as these uh, uh, committees and commissions and such uh, get organized and start back up again in this new session to talk more about all of this let's bring in chris workington a conservative mp on the ethics committee mp for grand perry mckenzie and with us now chris thanks for the time hope you're doing well
5: i'm well scott thanks for having me
0: so uh give us uh the rest of us in the country an idea of what's been going on in ottawa and these late night filibusters and what's happening here
5: Absolutely. Well, your introduction was correct. The prime minister had attempted to kill this investigation by uh, proroguing the House of Commons when, when he prorogued, when he moved to do that. All of the investigations in the House of Commons ceased. The committees couldn't do anything. Uh, Everything ground to a halt. Uh, At that point in time, these documents had already been approved by the committee. The committee members had had voted on it and had demanded these documents. Uh, These documents relate to the Trudeaus and uh, their involvement with the WE the we organization obviously that organization had been committed over nearly a billion dollars from the federal government and so uh th- these documents should have been released should have been put in the committee's hands before prorogation but just hours before these com- these documents were required to be at the committee the prime minister uh prorogued parliament so basically what we're trying to do right now is simply get us back to where we were uh some weeks ago uh, before prorogation uh, but the the liberals are pulling out all the stops they They are talking, um, reading nonsense into the record simply to to hold the floor because the the committee cannot go to a vote as to if or not we're going to demand these documents once again uh, until the the members quit talking. And so the Liberals are doing what is called a filibuster, uh, effectively talking out the clock and uh, attempting to delay uh, the the documents we, we we are starting to become aware that these documents are vitally important to the investigation. Clearly, if the prime minister uh, wanted to uh, do what he what he always said he would do as prime minister, which is provide sunlight, he used to say that sunlight was the best disinfected. If he believed that these documents. Um, uh, it would exonerate him. He'd have them there in a minute. Uh, but he is, he is going back on what he committed when he became Prime Minister, uh, saying that sunlight was the best disinfectant. Uh, what he is doing is stalling. He's, he's, uh, st- he's, he's engaged in what, what appears to be a cover-up. And uh, Canadians, I believe, deserve to see what's in these documents
0: uh is it possible all this filibustering could backfire i mean i hear the you know the the prime minister saying you know we got bigger things to to talk about than the wee scandal however uh he didn't seem to think that way when it was time to uh to prorogue government um uh, b- but how long before uh, we start seeing uh people standing up like they did in the united states and reading green eggs and ham just to stop this from coming to a vote is this just a matter of time
5: well, it's getting that ridiculous. It's clear that, uh, that the Liberal members are prepared to humiliate themselves in defense of the Prime Minister. Uh, Li- Liberal members have, have been quoted in national media saying that they are afraid of what these documents contain. Uh, they, they are saying privately, um, to, to reporters that they are afraid of what's included. So, uh, the Liberal members, um, are humiliating themselves. I think Canadians having watched the committee, they, they, the media having watched the committee committee are are reporting that the liberal members are humiliating themselves at doing so so clearly they believe that the risk is far greater in having these documents uh, be out, out uh, to, given to the committee uh, they they'd rather humiliate themselves than uh, than allow these documents to to be released and so clearly now, there is more in this in these documents than uh, than they'd like to admit. Uh, they are afraid of what's included in it, and I believe that it will backfire. I think Canadians will start to pay attention and recognize that there's something happening in Ottawa that is that is beyond ridiculous. And and hopefully at that point, these Liberal members will quit doing the the Prime Minister's bidding and uh, continue uh, and stop their their uh, their filibuster. But uh, you know that I guess that remains to be seen.
0: Uh, do you think this is resonating with Canadians still?
5: Well, I, 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 I can tell you that uh, in terms of what I'm hearing from folks, and of course I sit on the committee and so people uh, have engaged with me, I can tell you that Canadians are, are engaged on this file. They, they, they want to know what went on. Uh, they want to know why the Prime Minister prorogued Parliament. Clearly there was no reset in terms of the parliamentary business. Uh, they have retabled every piece of legislation that they had before. Uh, there was clearly no, no reorganization of, of the government's agenda. All that uh, was the only reason for prorogation was to end these investigations. And that has made a lot of Canadians very curious. That has made a lot of uh, Canadians um, concerned that, that our democratic systems might be at, at some risk if we cannot, uh, if, if Parliament cannot demand documents and uh, either put this, this issue to rest or uh, fully investigate it and, uh, and uh, expose what went on.
0: Uh, as I mentioned, the the Prime Minister has said we'd rather spend our time, uh, meaning the Prime Minister's time, and Liberal Party's time, on dealing with COVID. Uh, is it resonating with Canadians that right, I guess, towards the end of the summer when uh, cases were starting to go down, that rather than deal with the second uh, wave or or make plans for that, they all took off to Quebec City in order to plan uh, the next election platform. Uh, Obviously, that has sidetracked with the second wave of COVID-19. Do you think this is on people's radar with us being in a global pandemic, or will that all have to uh, stabilize before Canadians refocus on this?
5: I can tell you that I'm hearing from people across this country that want to, they they believe that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. They're not sure that the Prime Minister could do that. Uh, They they are very concerned, like you pointed out, that the Prime Minister didn't do the heavy lifting of preparing for the second wave. Everybody knew that a second wave was likely. Everybody knew that uh, testing kits needed to be made available, uh, that that we were falling behind in terms of other countries, in terms of uh, accessing uh, new technologies that would, would ensure that we could get faster. Testing done, so so everybody is aware of that. But if the if the liberals believe that they want to get on with the business of of, of, uh, of engaging on the COVID file, they can do it. They they can quit talking at the committee uh, today. They they could end the filibuster. Uh, because it's really them that's carrying on it's not any of the other opposition parties it is the liberal party of canada that's filibustering speaking nonsense into into the record and we 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 know that they could end this filibuster today and they could get on with the, the the committee's business the committee could then have access to these documents if there's nothing in the documents it goes away but clearly the liberals are hiding something
0: uh speculation worse than reality here do you think
5: well if it was i mean it would be it would be telling i think the the liberals would end their filibuster if in fact there was nothing um if there wasn't the bombshell that we suspect that there is included in these documents i believe that they would we al- would allow the documents to be put forward at committee right now the the, inter- the the motion that is specified before committee would allow for the documents to come to be read by committee members in secret so they wouldn't even be public if these if these documents uh, did come forward they would be reviewed in secret and nothing would come of them if if in fact there was nothing included in the documents but the fact that the liberals don't even want these documents to be reviewed in secret in camera and with the provision that no member would speak about what's included in these documents, they're, they're so afraid of what's included in that that they're not even willing to, to allow committee members to, to see these documents in, in private, in secret. And that just demonstrates just how afraid that they are uh, of what is included in these documents.
0: How long is this going to last? How long will this go on? Will it, will it, it bring a parliament to a standstill?
5: Well, it, it will not bring Parliament to a standstill. This is one committee of parliamentary business that's engaged on this file that is that is that is uh, seized with this. So it, it doesn't seize other committees. It doesn't it doesn't take over uh, the, the the House of Commons time. This is simply one committee. We are prepared as committee members in the opposition to sit as long as we need to. Certainly the Conservative members are ready to fight for the, the principle of, of, of a democratic system that, that requires accountability and transparency. And right now we have a Prime Minister that's fighting that tooth and nail. We have his Liberal members that are that are engaged on that with him in support of, of the cover-up. Uh, and I believe that the other opposition parties are are prepared to to uh, buckle down and sit as long as we have to to ensure that uh, the democratic principle of transparency and accountability is is ensured and that these documents are brought forward.
0: Chris Workington is with his conservative MP on the Ethics Committee, MP for Grand Prairie McKenzie. Chris, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. But thanks so much, Scott. Talk to you then. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show Podcast on 900 CHML. This is The Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.